Hey, it's Todd Duncan. Welcome to High Trust Today, the podcast. I'm on a quest to help people win in business and in life. To do that, I know they must trust themselves. I personally believe that trust is the, the holy grail of business. When you do that, I think it's uh, motion, the absolute needle mover in relationships. Somebody's right honest with you, you trust them. Somebody's vulnerable with you, you trust them. It's really refreshing to have somebody be honest with you. It's refreshing to know that you're being told the truth. It feels right in our relationships when you know you can count on another individual. And I think that the interesting thing for me is that, that deep relationships require trust. And whether it is with a spouse, a partner, a child, whether it is with a business partner or a consumer, a borrower, I mean, trust is where intimacy is formed. Trust is the gateway to deep, permanent, indelible relationships. And what I want you to be thinking about is this idea that trust rarely sits on the outside, but it is always found on the inside. And the reality of of sales mastery, the reality of, of me being up here is that I have a deep desire for you to know me beyond the suit, beyond the tie, beyond the perfect lighting. I have a deep desire for you to to know me in a way that maybe you don't know me. I have a deep desire for you to have this experience be one of the more moving, if not the most important experience that you have ever had in your professional life. And I want to say something to you before we get started. And what I'm going to say to you is the most important thing you will ever hear in your life. And before I say it, I'm going to tell you that if you get it, the next four days could be magical. But I'll also say to you that if you don't get it, the next four days won't matter. And the most important thing that I want to say to you is this. Everything good that has ever happened in my life was preceded by me being brave. And I want to say again, everything good that has ever happened in my life has been preceded by me being brave. I have decided tonight that I am going to be extremely brave with you. Um, I have decided to kind of ditch the speech. In fact, what I thought I would do is take the speech I was going to give to you and just kind of ignite it and get rid of it. It's an actual speech. This is the one I was going to give you up until like seven days ago. It was a cool speech. I mean, I took the word ignite, you know, I built an acrostic out of it. Every letter stood for something like super cool. And then I just like seven days ago, Deb says to me, you know what, let's change everything. Let's just change everything. Let's, Let's really tell people 
what has ignited you over the last year. So um, if you like what I say tonight, Deb gets all the credit. If you don't like it, I'll take all the blame. Fair enough. The guys in the back are freaking out. I mean, we spent four months on the other speech. They had everything like perfectly choreographed and it was dialed in. And so just be patient with them because they're gonna miss some cues and be patient with me. I might forget you know, what I wanna say because I don't have anything memorized. But what I do wanna do is be brave. And so something that I wanna share with you is that I'm a big dreamer. You know, I love dreaming big. I know you guys are here because you love dreaming big. You wouldn't be here if you weren't a, a big dreamer. I love the idea of, of life planning, but I've learned something very, very important that I think will be the foundation of what we cover tonight. And what I've learned that I'll show you, and you might wanna consider this, you must write your life plan in pencil. And you must prepare to pivot. The reason why you have to write your life plan in pencil is because everything that you're planning is not going to work out. It's that straightforward. Two years ago, I had the distinct pleasure of being featured by my friend Darren Hardy in the front row in Success Magazine. It was called the Big Fat Failure Issue. Imagine that, a failure in success. Talk about an oxymoron, right? And, uh, and, and Darren tells my story in both his new book, The Entrepreneurial Roller Coaster, and his speech around that same topic because I was able to crash and burn hard, hard and come back. And I came back through losing my wife of 25 years to breast cancer. I came back from losing my business in a two year lawsuit. I came back from losing all of my wealth. I came back and I thought, you know, back was good. I had no idea that my hardest days were not behind me, but were ahead of me. How many of you are parents? Let me see your hands. How many of you either have teenagers or you remember the teenage years? Okay. So my sons were 11 and 13 when my wife Cheryl passed away from breast cancer. I had lost my business. I had lost my wealth. Uh, I was simply trying to keep all the balls in the air. Um, thought I was present, thought I was there. I was missing the signs that my boys were in trouble. And I have to tell you, that's not a settling thought, especially when you don't know you're missing them. And we have been through tons of grief therapy, and I remember both of my boys constantly saying to me, asking them, how are you doing? Fine, Dad. Fine, Dad. Fine, Dad. And I fell in love, and I got married, and it kind of, kind of dawned on me that, that, you know, it's interesting. I know the boys lost their mom, but even though I was present in a very real way, 
they had lost their, their dad as well. And I want you to be thinking about what I'm, I'm asking you to consider as we go through tonight, because all of the marbles are on the line. And last year, I told you that Deb and I were in our car, John and Matt were in the back seat, and we were driving to dinner, and a song came on, and Deb and I started listening to this, just the first words, and we looked at the sound title on Sirius Radio, and with tears rolling down our face, we pulled to the side of the road so that we could listen to that song. And, and um, what I said last year is the minute we listened to that song, we knew what we had to do. And I even told you last year that that gave me permission to make the hardest decision that I've ever had to make in my life. But what I didn't tell you last year was what that decision was. I'm going to tell you tonight. The hardest decision that I have ever made in my life is I had to put my oldest son into rehab for drugs and alcohol. Hardest decision I've ever made in my entire life. Missing the signs that he was numbing, missing the signs that the pain was too much to handle, missing all the signs until finally our family therapist called and said, I think your oldest son is in trouble and you need to do something. And when you're in that position, you really can only talk to people that have gone through it. You can't really talk to people that don't know what you're talking about because you don't get the kind of advice that you could otherwise get. We called a set of our friends who had lost their daughter to an accidental overdose and listened to them. We called my other friend who had lost his son after five rehabs to suicide. And we called another very dear friend of ours who had lost their son to a wheelchair due to a freak accident with alcohol and drugs. And every single one of them gave us almost to the T the same advice. They said, we wish we had done something more and they said, we wish we had done something sooner. The key word was wish. And Deb and I started to frame around that thought process what has now become a decisive strategy for us to make any decision we have to make in life. And what I heard from my friends and what Deb and I talked about is that our friends wish they had done something differently, had done something bigger, had done something sooner. And I looked at Deb and I said, you know what? I want to look back on this and say I'm glad we did something sooner. And I'm glad we did something more. And that became a filter that became the lighthouse in our life. And every decision that we make, every decision that you make, every experience that you have, every choice you have to go through 
is going to, in a step or two or a week or a month or a year or a decade, be something you look back on. And you will only be able to say two things about that experience. You will be able to say, I wish I had, or you will be able to say, I'm glad I did. We decided on April 25th, 2014, that we would send John to rehab. We had two guys show up at the house. It was an intervention. John was taken away peacefully. I cried at the curb watching my son leave for what was untold time and effort that was going to take place, 4.15 on a Friday afternoon. I came back in the house and Deb and I hugged each other and we sobbed, my mom and dad were there, and I cried. And I was feeling the loss until 7.05. And at 7.05 that same Friday night, almost three hours later, John's phone chirped. Text message arrived. And I looked at the group text and the group text said, Hey, homies, I scored the heroin for tonight. Let's do it. We were three hours away from an I wish I had. Three hours away from things escalating to a whole new level. Three hours away from a needle in the arm or aluminum foil and a lighter from who knows what could have happened if he had touched heroin. That is how close decision-making can be. That is how narrow the filter is on the choices that we make as human beings each and every day. And this is not just about life and your kids. It's about what? Everything. In business, in finances, in intimacy, in marriage, you're going to look back and you're either going to say, I'm glad I did or I wish I had. And I wish I had leads to regret and I'm glad I did leads to joy. And the goal of life is to get more of, I'm glad I did. So it took me about four days to realize after John was in that my youngest son, Matt, was in trouble. Lost his mom to breast cancer, lost his dad to a new bride, and now he's lost his brother to rehab. I had to make a very, very quick decision. I wish I had. I'm glad I did. Are you kidding me? We used to brag that one out of two was in trouble. And we're thinking we're batting 500. Now two out of two are in trouble. Well, batting 1,000, I guess, right? Just the other way around. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? So son number two is in trouble. Son number two goes into rehab. Do you know how hard that decision is? Do you know how hard it is to watch both kids do something so young in life? My 17 and a half year old goes, Dad, you have no idea what it's like to be sober and be 17 and a half in today's society. And that was a plea for help. And what I have to tell you is that 
they battled it. They battled it hard. And I am just grateful today that I can say that John is 532 days sober. And Matt is 362 days sober. And I'm just telling you right now that I am a human being like you. If I come down there and take, I had a dream the other night. I was talking about getting naked with you guys. And in my dream, I actually took my suit off, took all my clothes off. And no, no. And then I realized in the dream that I was naked and I went to find my clothes. And the stage guys had taken the the clothes off the stage. And I would just stand here with nowhere to go. So anyway. (laughs) But the the crazy thing is, is that... um, You know, I've always talked about the hard road and the easy road. Do you know why the easy road is called the easy road? I'll tell you why. It's easy to get on and it's easy to get off. Do you know why the hard road is called the hard road? Because it is hard to get on and it is even harder to stay on. And so on my first Father's Day after meeting Deb, she gave me this really cool Superman watch. And I just made this commitment that I wanted to be a superhero to my boys. And what I've learned in all this is that they actually have become my hero. And in my desire to be a superhero, all I did was figure out how to make one decision that now has set them up for success and I watch how they live their life I watch the rigorous honesty with which they negotiate and navigate life I look at the depth and the quality of the relationships we have sober instead of them hammered and messed up and I have to tell you something I am so proud of them that I can't even begin to if I just spoke every minute you were here until Friday it would only dent minusculely the pride that I have for those two boys. And they literally are my superhero. This is crazy. You don't sign up for this stuff, right? This is not part of the life plan. Write your life plan in pencil and prepare to what? Pivot. I mean, I have been, I wrote a book called The Power to Be Your Best. Who's read that book? Let me see your hands if you read that book. Okay, there's a chapter in there called Date Your Daughters and Night Your Sons, K-N-I-G-H-T. It was all about being a really great parent. The boys were three and they were five. (laughs) I was talking to John Maxwell about it and he said, you don't have any credibility to write a book on parenting. He said, wait 15 years, which is exactly where I am. Like right now, and you know what? He's right. I still don't know how to parent. I'm figuring it out every single day. But fast forward. So here's my life now, right? Every Thursday night, I get to go to group therapy. 50 strangers that I don't know, and we get to talk about our challenges. And, you know, it it's, comes around to me, and I go, Hi, I'm Todd. I'm a recovering codependent, an enabler, and an oxymoron. This kind of fuels what we're going to talk about. This wasn't part of my life plan either. 
Last year on this stage, my blood pressure was 186 over 115. I'm a high achiever, I know. I was on blood pressure medication. I was on cholesterol medication. I was numbing myself with caffeine, food, and yes, really fine wine, and a lot of it. Ironically, there's no more better time to drink than when your kids are in rehab. It's just like, bring it, man. I can't handle this. Just bring it, man. Then you wake up tomorrow and they're still in rehab. Bring it, you know? And I was sitting here realizing that, okay, A, this is not getting me anywhere, you know? And um, the guy tells me, my cardiologist tells me, you are one heartbeat away from a heart attack. 